It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday june 27th and you're listening to episode 526 as always i am your host jason here today joined by game designer from the our awesome discord group plugging the discord group always i will never stop plugging the discord group we have ed wedding hey ed how's it going oh it's going great how are you doing Good, good. Um, I uh, I feel like feel like the fates have conspired to almost make this not happen. <laughs> we had yeah. some delays and stuff, but we got it. We got it working. Yeah, so, finally. We only yes. had to reschedule a couple times. Right, and I think I I had issues the first time, so yeah, we uh we went back and forth, but we worked it out. That is mm-hmm. uh that is probably out of five hundred and twenty six episodes, the like at least three to four hundredth time that's happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, it is uh, podcasting. Scheduling podcasting is rescheduling. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's that's a thing. <laughs> I get a lot of that. The uh, yeah, the last episode took mm-hmm. a few tries as well, and uh, okay. it's just uh, it's pretty typical. It's pretty typical. So this is why I uh, and then I'm also just not great at scheduling things ahead of time. So if that doesn't help, no. um, <laughs> yeah, it's a learning I, uh, process. If, you're, right. you're it after another you know 500 episodes or so right by then i'll just have hired like one of those virtual assistants to do all mm-hmm. the scheduling <laughs> then i'll be the one who doesn't show up or like can't make it because right. i'll be like right. oh no don't schedule it for that day <laughs> yeah yeah so uh so how, how have you been doing oh uh, i've been doing pretty good uh i went to origins last week yeah and uh really had a good time um, I was helping a friend in their booth, uh, doing demos, helping set up the booth, tear it down at the end of the show. Oh, cool, uh, cool. But it was a quiet origins. Uh, there were more people than the one they had last fall, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly like it used to be, you know, pre-COVID. Right. right. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, yeah. it's good to see things are happening again. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, there were quite a few people there, um, which was a very good sign. Yeah, were there still? How was the company representation there? Was there a good amount of booths and stuff? Yeah, the the dealer hall was pretty full. Um, uh, although the aisles, I think, were wider than they normally are, so to kind of cover up that there weren't as many. Right, but right. There were still a number of big companies there. A lot of smaller companies. Uh, I saw a number of first time companies that I've not seen before. Yeah, I bet. Mix. Yeah, I bet with there was a little, you know, so many times for conventions, even you know ones like Origins that aren't like mm-hmm. huge. There's that competition to get in and get your booth, right? But right when when bigger publishers aren't there, the ones who go every year, uh, if some of those bow out, that does make the way for smaller publishers to hop in, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You get to see games you would not have seen otherwise, right? Right. Yeah, and Origins was partnered with uh, something called GDEX, which was more video games. So okay. there were a number of booths where they had screens set up with their demo game. But there was also a number of uh, like local colleges that had video game design courses. And they were there recruiting. Oh, that's thought, cool. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. 
that's really cool um yeah no that's i so i the last time i was at origins was whoo i don't know if i went in 2019 or not mm. um but uh yeah it's it's been it's been a while but origins is one i usually enjoy going to it's it's you know it, it's not huge right it's, it's like a moderate yeah. size convention you can see a lot of people it's so centrally located that i i think that people from a lot of places go and heck, I mean, you, you live in the area, right? Yeah. You live in Ohio. So that's, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a 20 minute drive from my house to downtown where the show is. So. Nice. Nice. Saves a bit on gas and in, in lodging, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could live that close to Columbus though. I think I would find myself <laughs> at that, um, that marketplace that's right by there, oh, right by the Columbus. North Market, North right Market, North Market. Yeah. Oh gosh, I would just be there <laughs> eating Polish food all the time. Mm -hmm. That's all I do. It would be bad. Either that or uh, Jenny's ice cream. Oh gosh, yes. I so so during the pandemic, um, when we were like locked down here in Michigan yep. and like there was nowhere to go and there was nothing to do, we like did some crazy things to like try and make it like fun and special. Mm -hmm. And one of those was. I had Jenny's ice cream shipped directly to my oh. door and it was <laughs> epic. So yeah. Yeah. My wife had never had it before. So she was like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. <laughs> so when I think for, for mother's day, we had shipped some to people too, mm -hmm. um, for them to be like, Hey, try it out, you know, do something a little different, <laughs> but there's nothing like uh, walking a mile through the rain uh, to go stand oh. on a long line in the rain to get oh. your three samples of, you know, when you get, you know, the three flavor, like a uh, little um, sampler of uh, oh. the Jenny's ice cream. That, that is worth it every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. So um, you did the speed pitching at Origins, is that correct? Yeah, that was uh, Thursday night uh, done through the uh, the unpub program, nice. And uh, that was it was kind of a whirlwind. I mean, it was <laughs> right, you know, right. Thirteen publishers, I think. Yeah, there were twelve, and then they added one more early that week. Uh -huh. And you had uh, like three minutes to pitch your game, and then five minutes for like questions and answers, and then a few minutes to switch to the next table. Nice. Uh, but it, it ran like a very well-oiled machine. It was just like boom, boom, boom. You know, here's the next you know group of either single uh, person from a publisher or I think the most I had was like three people. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, how many people like participated in that, um, you know, uh, designer-wise? I think, uh, I'm, I'm trying to picture the room. I think there were like 16 publishers i think there were 16 tables set up uh-huh yeah i think it was a four by four um but yeah every pub or every uh, designer had their table so they could have their uh uh their game design set up oh so the publishers actually came to you yeah oh okay is that yeah, how that I always thought speed pitching didn't. Is that what normally happens with speed pitching, where you sit in one place and the publishers come around to you? Uh, well, the the I've only done speed pitching twice, and the last time was like 2014, and it was a similar situation. You were at a table, and the publisher would come to you. 
Okay, I, I always envisioned it the other way, but oh my gosh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah, because you'd have your game set up. and right. uh, I was always like, oh my gosh, what a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes way more sense. I feel I feel really dumb now for not <laughs> understanding how that would work. That makes a lot, lot more sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I, thinking of some of the other designs I saw around me, I... I just can't imagine them being able to be moved from table to table in any short amount of time. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, I was thinking about from my perspective where I do a lot of smaller games and card right. games, but my gosh, you have a Euro and it's like, oh yeah, that's just dumb. Like, it's literally impossible to pitch that. I mean, a Euro would be hard enough to speed pitch already. Mm-hmm. You know, you add to that that you'd have to move it around. Yeah, I guess that makes total sense. Wow, I can't believe that I never thought <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to do speed pitching sometime mm-hmm. um i think but, it's a worthwhile uh, so, experience yeah yeah no I, everyone i know that's that's done speed pitching has been like super stressful mm-hmm. totally worth it um i mean you get to show all those publishers your game you know in like an hour hour and a half like just boom done i mean that is yeah yeah that's that's fantastic i think it was I mean, when it was all said and done, it was like two and a half hours. Yeah. Nice. It, it, nice. Once everything finally wrapped up. Uh-huh. That's very cool. And it, it just flew by. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh. You know, I've shown a lot of publishers where we at. And I'm looking at the time going, oh, I've been sitting here for an hour and a half already. <laughs> um, And I believe you said you had some positive responses. Yeah. I had two publishers um at the time when they sat down they said hey follow up with me after origins was over and another publisher said hey i'm gonna be here on sunday can we sit down and have like a half hour meeting nice so that was great that is great um and then in addition i had one publisher send me a rejection letter on sunday saying hey i think this is going to be a pass for us but on a whim, I said, you know, you know, thank you for the feedback. Would you be interested in seeing some of my other designs? And I now have an online meeting set up for uh, like two weeks. Well played. Yeah. That's a pro move, Ed. That is a pro move. <laughs> Very good. Just be like, hey, you know, I have other stuff. They've already said no once. If they say no again, it's not that big of a deal. Right, right. I mean, and, and I like to think, too, that, you know, when they say no the first time, and then they come back and say, but I'd love to see your other stuff. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, they said no to your game and not to you. Right. Which always right. is a confidence booster. Right. It's not right. like, or your game was so awful that they were like, no, not no. A- and God, don't ever show us anything again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be super bad. Well, congrats. That, that sounds really positive. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm very hopeful. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I always say with this kind of stuff, no matter what happens, I mean, you're making these inroads with these mm-hmm. publishers. And I mean, that I think the idea that you showed them a game, they said, oh, we're not interested in this one. And you said, can I show you something else? And they said, oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. that right there shows the power of that, because now you've opened this channel with that publisher right. where likely whether or not they like these games, you know, as long as you're easy, you know, like nice pitching to them and stuff, um, mm-hmm. which clearly you were the first time, then yeah. um there's a lot good there's a there's a good chance that they'll they'll be willing to see your games in the future and that is mm-hmm. awesome so yeah but no i wish you luck with those thank you 
So any other big highlights from Origins that uh was uh what here's a here's a question before mm-hmm. you give me any other highlights you had. Okay. Uh in the hall where you play games, was there still a giant uh Pikachu's butt like hovering over everyone or did they was that not there this no. year? Um they they didn't have the the big inflatable Pikachu hanging from uh-huh. the ceiling. But there was somebody wandering around the show in an inflatable Pikachu costume. <laughs> nice. You know, he'd stop and take selfies with people. And nice. I think, I'm not sure. I think it was sponsored by one of the local um, game stores. But I'm, That's I'm awesome. not sure. Super awesome. <laughs> yeah, I remember like the one of the first times I went there, somebody was like, oh, uh, yeah. I was like, where do we meet? They said, oh, just in the in the game hall. Uh, just under Pikachu's butt. And I was like, yep. what? And they said, you'll understand. <laughs> and I went in there and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I indeed, I do understand. I totally get it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and My then it was there the was, next year again. So. Yep. My son was really big into Pokemon when that happened. And I, I remember taking a picture with my phone uh-huh. just so I could show him. I said, hey, look, Pikachu's butt. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I had a similar situation with a kid with... Uh, I took a picture with Boba Fett uh, okay. at Gen Con, thinking like, "Oh, my kids are gonna think this is so cool." And they were. This was several years ago. Obviously, okay. I want to say it was 2018, maybe. So mm. I take this picture with Boba Fett, and my daughter's response is that she's scared oh. <laughs> for me that Boba <laughs> Fett is there. I'm like, "Okay, this is the opposite of what I wanted to happen. Like, I was trying mm. to show you that I got to meet Boba Fett, and now you think he's bounty hunting me." Like, I'm not worth it. Don't worry. There are no bounties on my head. Yeah. So I was going to say, though, any other any other highlights that popped out about Origins? Um, not that I can think of. Um, it was it was a good sh- it was a good time. That's cool. Uh, yeah. It was very intense. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you're kind of going all day and. Uh, I yeah. was commuting every day, so I came home yep. and just kind of crashed. Oh, I bet. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, it, uh, there is that. It's like when you go to Gen Con, like whenever you can have a hotel or even Origins is the same way. When you can have mm-hmm. a hotel that's attached oh, yeah. to the convention center, being able to just go to your room for 30 minutes, drop mm-hmm. some stuff off, sit on the bed, feel comfortable, like, wow, like that feels good. And when you've got to commute into town – yeah that that is lost (laughs) and it stinks (laughs) so yeah yeah well awesome well um yeah well let's uh let's let's go ahead and chat about a topic uh this evening you've got uh you had a great one uh that you wanted to chat about and i'm excited to chat about that now i'll let you introduce that so go uh, right ahead Okay, so the the topic is it's games that have changed either theme or mechanics from initial conception to like finished product. Right, right, and like we're talking about like big fundamental changes, right? Right. Like, yeah, right. yeah. Because I mean, obviously, all of them will change mechanically, but there are right. some where like you're and like, oh, I've got this. The, the oh, go theme ahead. will. Ch- I was going to say maybe the theme will change a little bit, but these are. Right. I've got a couple examples of, you know, well-known games where the original game was completely different from what got published. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's super interesting. Um, and you know, I, uh, I, I, 
it's amazing what can happen with with a game during the development mm-hmm. process. Um, you know, when you're when you're working through it, that you can have like I've seen many times, and and I've experienced this myself, where I've ended up spinning off a new game because yeah. the core mechanic that was you know what you think of as like everything to the game doesn't make it to the next iteration of the game. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did that happen? Like, what? But right, sometimes it's best for the game. And that's right. just kind of how it has to play out. Yeah, I've heard of designers who have a core mechanic that they're trying to get into a game. So they build a game around that core mechanic, but then they, the game changes enough that the core mechanic gets thrown out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and the game it is... is better for it, but the game didn't exist without that core mechanic originally. Right, right. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of this like awkward thing of like, well, I guess this game is a new thing now, right? And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that, I think on one hand, right, it's important that we can do that, that we can say, you know, I'm not going to be precious about this game. I'm just going to change it how I have to. But that can be difficult, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if that really is what you felt like made the game, that can be really hard to wrap your head around those changes. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult. I mean, a game is, it's kind of like a child, you know, you, right. You don't want to lose any part of that, but you know, you just got to look at it and go, no, it's better if this gets removed or this gets changed. Right. Right. It can just be, yeah. It sometimes can be hard to see that, but Mm -hmm. it is something fundamental that does need to happen a lot in games. Right. I mean, that's why they say, don't be too precious about stuff, but that can be hard sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> and not be. So, um, so what are some of your experiences with that, with this, you know, these changes over time? Um, well, I, like I said, I've got a couple examples. Excellent. Um, so there was a game, uh, I've not played it, but I've heard of it called uh, Godspeed. I think yeah, it's been yep. mentioned on the show. Yeah, uh, yep. I guess the original design was about llamas. And I'm, about llamas and this is godspeed is a game about um space travel uh, yeah it's a uh, space exploration i believe okay wow yeah so llamas that is a that is a little farther removed from, <laughs> like llamas I'm, that's not yeah, what I'm you not, would think right i'm not sure how that happened but um what else have we got here um let's see the game uh, Dead Man Tell No Tales was supposed to be a firefighting game, but uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue came out ah, and they decided to change right. the theme. And I've seen Dead Man Tell No Tales, and I'm like, oh, I don't see how that could be a firefighting game. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I personally like um, a one that that happened for me that was one of those like it turned out to be a really good change, but like mm-hmm. it was one of those like moments where you had to not be precious. And I, I thought of it because you mentioned the um, flashpoint fire rescue came out. Yeah. So when I was working on my first game, the the game that ended up being water balloon washout and I knew okay. I was going to put it on Kickstarter and which is, it's a game about water balloon fights. But when it started, it was a game about snowball fights mm-hmm. and it was just called snowball fights. Or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what it was called back then. Um, and um, 
yeah. And so I was working on it and cause I'm from Michigan and you know, snowball right. fights are a thing that happened. I'm sure being from Ohio, you've also experienced that. Oh yeah. Um, but we, uh, right. But you know, I was say a few months before we were going to go to Kickstarter. Um, somebody, uh, published a game called the great snowball fights or put it on oh. Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, Oh no. And I was, I thought there can't be, you know, two games about snowball fights, um, which of course is silly. Um, but, but we ended up saying like, what are we going to do? What should I do mm-hmm. with this game? And we turned around and said, okay, what if it was water balloons? That feels the same. And yeah. I was so thankful that that ended up happening because, you know, one of the things when you think about your own place where you live and, and what your, yeah. what things are like for you is that snowball fights around here are pretty common, but mm-hmm. in other parts of the world and other parts of the United States, not always so much, right? Yeah. So, so it actually ended up being a big shift for the positive. And I know people might be like, how was that a big shift? Well, like everything was tied to the theme, right? Like, so right. every action in the game in even the way to the fact that actions were, were thematic in the way that they tied into the theme, right? So like mm-hmm. if the action said you do this, like I wanted it to feel that way. So I actually changed a substantial amount in the game mechanics to realign that theme, probably more than I needed to, but I'm just, I'm always very concerned about how do theme and mechanics line up. Um, And so because of that, like for me, I was like, no, no, this is, this is getting changed. This is happening. Um, yeah, Yeah. But it was even for something that was what feels like a small shift. It was a lot of change that happened um, you know, in the rules to, to make it work that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a real good game, you know, the theme and mechanics should work together. There should be a lot of ties between them. If you can take your theme off and really not impact the game, there probably weren't enough. There wasn't enough connective tissue there. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you're making an abstract game, all that Mm -hmm. goes out the window But I mean, that's not what we're talking about, right? I mean, an abstract game might change drastically, um, uh, drastically mechanically. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not going to change drastically thematically (laughs) unless it gets a theme, uh, in which case, which I have seen before with games where, you know, they go from nothing to having, you know, an actual theme. And that really does obviously change a lot around that. Right. So uh, what are some personal games that you've worked on where you felt these changes and what was that like? Well, um, well, I have a game called currently called B-Ball and um, it's kind of a product of COVID lockdown, Mm -hmm. but it's based on an older design and the original design was called uh, either Demon Cage or Dragon Cage. Okay. And it was kind of an abstract with a with a theme pasted on um the idea is if you look at a 12-sided die every side is a pentagon and i said wow that's kind of interesting and i was thinking about the mechanics of the and i I don't know what it's called but it's the old dots and lines game where you can draw a line between two dots and if you make a box you put your initial in it Uh uh-huh it's it's a kid's game 
Yep, I remember that one specifically, yeah. And yeah. so I was looking at a 12-sided die, and I went, well, okay, every side has five corners. If, if there was a, a candle or a dot in every corner, okay. It would uh, summon you know, a demon, for well, sure. Yeah, or build a cage around it. But oh, the yeah, idea, yeah, the, that the makes idea sense was, too, yeah. Because there are five, it's very easy for area control to, if everybody draws one dot in a corner, mm-hmm. when the side is complete, somebody has a majority. There's, right. there's no ties. Right. And so that was the basic idea was that you were either drawing lines or putting dots in corners. And I kind of shelved that design. And then during lockdown, I heard about the murder hornets. And for yeah. the listeners that don't know about the murder hornets, yeah, it was easy to forget about them yeah. with everything else happening. <laughs> well, it was kind of a blip and it came and went. Um, but the giant Asian hornet is a, it's a problem over in, uh, in Japan. It, uh, it destroys beehives. It goes in and basically yep. just eats bees. And it like decapitates bees, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's, a gruesome it, way to murder bees. Yeah, it is. It is not not fun to watch. But the Asian bees have a defense against the the hornet. And what they do is they form a ball around the murder hornet and vibrate. And when they vibrate, they cook the murder hornet. What? And it's, it's something like the murder hornet dies at 105 degrees but the bees can survive up to 108 it is it's like that a is crazy razor thin difference <laughs> wow the problem comes is that american beehives are descended from european bees and they don't know they don't have this defense mechanism so okay when reports started coming out that there were they were finding murder hornets in the Pacific Northwest, all the beekeepers in the U.S. freaked out. Right. So I looked at that and I went, hmm, a ball around a murder hornet. Wait, I have a design about building something around, you know, a dragon. What if I changed it to bees? So that's where bee ball came in. <laughs> and so uh-huh. now you're moving around the outside of the ball, placing worker bees to kind of cover the murder hornet before the murder hornet wakes up and tries to escape. Right. I'll be honest, when you said bee ball, I did not see that theme (laughs) coming the way it did. That was, uh, I was thinking like basketball and I was like, wow, demon cages to basketball. That's a leap. But uh, I feel the flow there between the murder hornets and the, and the demon cages. So what what are the things you had to, to, to think about when you were making that, you know, after you made that change, like what are the things that right. really stand out to you as the big kind of new things you had to introduce to, to make that work? Well, the biggest thing was instead of either drawing lines, it's now placing worker bees. And there are now mechanics where uh, if I place a bee or multiple bees on a side, it becomes harder for the other player to place bees on that side. Okay. Whereas the original game, there was no, 
uh, no rule about that. You just go to whatever side and, and light a candle or draw a line. Um, and do the um, do the the bees represent like are your bees from one hive and somebody else's bees are like from yeah, another hive or are they all from the same? Well, it's, is it's it like a, your bee posse and their bee posse. Yeah, something like that. It's it's a strictly two player game and that you and the opponent are uh, or you and your opponent are um, uh, drones trying to get favor from the queen. And oh, so yeah, you're that just, makes total sense. You're placing your kind of your posse of worker bees around right. the bee ball, right? And you're trying to trying to build more of the bee ball than your opponent, so that you defeat the murder hornet and you were more instrumental in that. Defeat. Right, right, right. That makes no. That makes total mm-hmm. sense. So yeah, you're uh, the the whole favor for the queen thing solves the issue of like. Why are we working against each other and working? I mean, I guess you are working together because yeah. when you put your bees there, it's helping the greater good, right? Of right, you know, stopping the murder hornet. So yeah, right. Because at some point during the game, the murder hornet wakes up. Uh, the initial uh, situation is it's tired from its long flight, but it'll wake okay. up and then start attacking different sides of the ball. And if there are no bees on that side, it escapes and destroys the hive and everybody loses. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah, that yeah. nicely thematic type. And I guess that probably was something that was there yeah, for that, the original version, right? Because obviously right. Yeah, there was dragon or like demon that. escaping, not good for the surrounding people. Yeah, there was something like that in the original game, but I kind of, I locked it down more in B-Ball. That makes total sense. That, um... Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Um, a shift and you know, like tweaking the mechanics to to fit along with that as well. Yeah, once you have a, a very strong theme um, like this, it really it does start influencing the mechanics, and you can start seeing that those connections. It really does. It really does. I I think that like if I had to pick of the two. Like if somebody said, Jason, you can, you're going to have to change this game and I'm going to do a complete theme flip on you, or I'm going to do a complete mechanic flip on you. Like, even though both of them require you to change the mechanics, I think I would still pick the theme because I, I do think that when you find a new strong theme, it does. You're right. Like the mechanics, if, if you're the type of person that is really concerned about justifying theme and mechanics, Mm-hmm. I think that you it kind of gives you that trail of breadcrumbs to follow with that, right? Right. And that's yeah, why and some of the um, some of the generic themes that some designers use, like you know your typical space trading game or uh, mm-hmm. trading the Mediterranean, <laughs> right, I, right, right, right? I think you're actually a disadvantage uh, early when you're. In your early design, because that theme doesn't really guide the mechanics, right? It's just kind of bland. Yeah, that's you know that is like, um. So because I had heard somebody, and I don't remember who, some designer had once said like, like why why not just make every game that theme, right? Of trading mm-hmm. the Mediterranean or whatever, like because like your standard Euro themes sell; they sell well, right? Oh, yeah. But like, I, I agree when it comes to designing a game, like I, 
I don't know. Like when I think about designing that kind of game, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I'm just not excited about it. Um, right. And I don't mean just a Euro. Like I would, I would rather design, I wouldn't mind designing a Euro style game if the, if the theme could be something that made me excited. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't, then no, no, I'm out. But, uh, but if it was, yeah, like I could, I think I could live with that. Um, so you're right. It really does. Like, I think that, you know, in the whole, like, do you think of theme or mechanics first? Like, and I, I know everyone is different. And I think even, okay. I mean, I know that I've done it differently where I'll have a really cool mechanic and I'm like, oh, what can I do with this? But yeah. for me, the next step is always, what am I simulating here? Like, what am I doing with this mechanic? What does this make me feel like matches it? And then saying, okay, so that's what I'm trying to do now. Mm-hmm. Boom. Let's like, let's start working from that point going forward. Right. Right. If you can, uh, like you said, if you have a cool mechanic and you go, okay, what, what could this simulate? That'll t- kind of point you in the right direction of hopefully of a theme. Yep. And then yep. that theme can really impact the mechanics down the line and, and, I guess, focus those mechanics. Right, right, right. So I'm, so one of the things that I've experienced Mm -hmm. before, um, and I don't know if you've experienced anything like this or not, like, but like, I'm not sure when it comes to, you know, like for your game for like Mm -hmm. b-ball, right? Like, obviously you were stuck, you weren't sure what to do with it. And then boom idea, Hey, I could reuse this old design. And, and I think that's a fantastic way to use old designs that you're not doing anything with. Um, that's a whole discussion of its own. It's like, <laughs> how do you take the old designs and see if they're worth breathing life into them? Um, but like I had a publisher where they came back and, uh, and the, the game didn't end up happening. It's, it's a game that, that ended up getting sent back, but like I had a theme and when I gave them the theme, like the game with the theme, they said, you know, we're not super jazzed about the theme, which mm. is, I mean, I appreciate the honesty. I'm fine with that. Right. Like you don't have to be, and they said, so we might consider something else if that's okay with you. And I was like, yeah, I said, you know, I, I like this theme, but I can understand why maybe it's not a super marketable theme. And if you want to change it, that's fine. Right. Um, and then they came back and they said, well, we're trying to get this one artist. And the artist looked at the theme and said, I don't want to draw that theme. I said, okay, that's fine. And, um, and in the, the game was flood and it was like, it was about drawing. Uh, it was about uh, creating a boat to survive a flood that was coming um, and you were like trapped somewhere and you, you were turning your old cabin into a boat and then you were going to sail away and survive before this, uh, before this huge um, influx of water came this flood. So, uh, so that was the idea. And the artist was like, I don't really like that idea. You know, uh, could it be something else? And the artist pitched some different ideas, right? Which okay. was weird to me. Cause I've never had an artist do that, but okay, yeah. sure. You know, um, it was an artist that we all really wanted. So that's cool. I get it. Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, I, I I knew the theme might not survive. And and the artist came back with two ideas that I, like, I really, really didn't like. Um, like I was like, oh, gosh, like we could do this. But like it was kind of that thing where I thought, geez, like what do I do for like how am I going to pivot the mechanics to fit that? Because it just doesn't match what I what we're trying to do with this game, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I was really nervous about that. And then the third one was like, 
what if it were Vikings? And I was like, okay. Like it was basically like Vikings building their boats for Ragnarok. And, and mm. I think Vikings have been done a lot, Yeah, but I was like, okay, that's interesting. You know, and we talked about like, can we do like Marvel style Vikings where they're much more diverse than they would be if it was just like, like standard old school Vikings from movies. And they said, oh yeah, definitely. So I was like, okay, I'm in like, let's do that. And pivoting the mechanics on that was really interesting because what we ended up doing was instead of building one boat, you were building multiple boats. And, um, and that was something that I thought was interesting. And the reason we could do that was because, because of the theme change. Right. And that drove that because when you're building a boat to just escape, right. And there's no reason to do it other than to build a functional boat to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the game was like, Hey, if you build the best boat, then you, escape the best right (laughs) right well well, what does that mean right but when positioned as ragnarok it was hey when you build the best boat the gods will be excited and they will they will give you favor for building the best boat and i was like that i'm interested in that right like that actually makes sense and then also the fact that you can build multiple boats and building a boat became easy Instead of like, you know, it used to be the whole game was building the boat, but what it turned into was building a boat wasn't that hard, but embellishing that boat and making it as fancy as possible and adding shields and, you know, like the big dragon head on the front and all of those things, that was what called favor for you, right? Because any Viking could build a boat, right? That's easy. They build boats all the time, but can you build the best boat to please them? So that you are the one selected to sail away into Ragnarok. And um, and that that was cool. And I mean, that game ended up going in directions that I didn't care for. Um, and that was fine. But like, I mean, thematically wise, it was it's an interesting thing where changing that theme really did open up the game and fix some pain points for the game. Right. Um, we managed to create a whole mess of new pain points. But the original ones like just dissolved because we changed the theme. Um, And I think that's just a huge plug from, from me for why considering a theme change, um, you know, is, is really important. Um, Yeah. I don't, what are your thoughts on, on that, on using a theme change like that to fix problems within the game? Well, I mean, you went from kind of a, a lackluster, almost generic, I want to call it almost like a black and white theme. Yep, and, I would not disagree know, with you. Yeah, I mean, was, I don't think that, but everyone else in the world thinks that, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally to, agree. To something that really had some spark to it mm-hmm. and um, had a lot of possibility. And I think that really, it sounds like it really helped the design because suddenly there was a lot more for the mechanics to grab hold of. Yeah. Yeah. It created a lot more design space for Mm -hmm. sure. Yep. But it sounds like it also caused a bunch of issues. So, I mean, and that was more of like, I think, you know, the big thing was we were designing a game where a publisher wanted a heavier, thinkier game that I did, but you know, you go with it because Hey, you, you bought the game, right? right? I mean, you get what you want. Um, and then that ended up not being what they thought they could sell. Um, and so that, that's a whole other episode that I already did, but, um, mm-hmm. but, and I don't bring that up to drudge that up. I bring that up because it is a good example of where that initial pivot 
really did make the game turn into something different. And now that I have the game back and, you know, my first thing that I'm trying to do when I've been talking to people about this game is finding a new theme that really motivates me and inspires me to want to fix the things that need to be fixed. Cause I've kind of reverted the game back to where it was mm-hmm. um, with the original theme, knowing that I don't want to keep that theme, you know, knowing I want to change it and knowing that if I'm going to fix it, I'm going to need a cool theme to help me really want to, you know, jump in and do the right thing with it. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Finding that cool theme. Just, it's that spark that the design needs. But you yep. just got to find something that matches the, at least the mechanics as they stand now. Yep. And I, I'll tell you, Ed, like, I, I am, like, I don't even understand, like, these, like, a designer that's just, like, who consistently makes abstract games. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I, that is a skill that I do not, I, I do not understand. Like, the idea that they could just be like, I'm going to design another abstract game with a pasted on theme. And I don't even or like, or a, you know, or a game with a pasted on theme. And I'm not judging there. Right. I mean, like I, where they, they design these beautiful mechanics and they just throw a theme on it. Um, those games aren't usually for me because I want mm-hmm. them to feel like they go together, but a lot of right. people don't care. And that's to each their own. Right. But like how, how are they designing these great games? Like without worrying at all about theme. Like I honestly, that boggles my mind. Um, they can do that because I can't. Yeah, I, I really can't either. I think it's more of coming at game design from a math perspective, possibly, right, right. where you can kind of see, kind of see how all the all the mechanics and the gears fit together, and then mm-hmm. the theme doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. But if you I mean, that's a, a lot of Kinesia games, right? Right. <laughs> they fall into that. Yeah, but if you can come up with very interesting mechanics, mm-hmm. that's sometimes enough. Right, right. And and I've played fantastic games that I've mm-hmm. loved, where um, where the their the theme is so pasted on. Hanabi is a great example, right? Hanabi mm-hmm. is an abstract game. There is a theme. Yep. The theme was so they could do fun artwork, um, and and have a, a countdown system that doesn't yeah. matter, um. Like literally, it, that that started as a cards with numbers game. I have to imagine. Oh yeah. Um, but like, and I guess I can see how they got there with that, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we want a game. Wouldn't it be cool? I'm sure it started with. Wouldn't it be cool if you had to hold these cards backwards, right? That had to have been the first thing I would think. If not, my mind is, is would explode. It's um, got to be very early in the design. Right. Right. And then to say. Okay, and your job is to play the cards in order as a team and go. <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. you know, um, but like these, like when you see these games where like, I, I think the Euros are what pops to mind a lot, where the theme doesn't feel inspiring at all. And I think a, a good example of one that was like mechanically complex. Um, and I think I would have super enjoyed it had it had a, a theme that was exciting to me was um, Century Spice Road, the original Century Spice Century Spice Road. Mm-hmm. Um, I really struggled with that game because the theme was just, I mean, the theme just didn't matter, right? I mean, literally, it could have just been like convert cubes to cubes, right? Yep. The theme was was the theme felt like it was just there for artwork, 
and mm-hmm. I understand that like the theme did fit right um but nothing felt driven by the theme um have you played that uh I have not played it I've seen it okay okay and I think another one where that same thing pops out to me again and I'm not like dogging these games they're good games they just um they're just not for me um one of them was uh I think it's Artifacts Inc maybe a lot of people loved it. Um, and I guess that when I, I remember a long time ago talking to Chris Kirkman about this, like when I mm-hmm. sat down to play that game, I was so excited because I was going to be Indiana Jones, right? Mm-hmm. I was so excited to be Indiana Jones. And then I did the game and I was not Indiana Jones. I don't know what I was. I don't know who I was, but I wasn't excited about it. And and that actually was like a theme expectation from me, right? That I put on the game. Like right. if I designed this game, I would feel like Indiana Jones. And then I didn't. And then I decided I didn't want to play the game anymore, <laughs> like ever again. Um, but I've heard other people be like, oh, that game is really good. But they didn't care if they got to go in and be Indiana Jones, right? So it wasn't, right. it didn't really matter to them. So Yeah, yeah, I mean, if, the, the mechanics really have to sell the player on the theme in the sense that, like you said, if you get into a game and you don't feel like what you're supposed to feel, the mechanics aren't working right. They're, they're not right. simulating right. what the game is, is selling. Yep. Totally agree. Yep. And, and I understand that that is not an opinion that everyone shares. And I, I also totally see the other side of it. Um, we just, we just seem to be in line with how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I feel like we're, we are, we are wandering a little bit here with, yeah. you know, we're really preaching about why theme is super important. Uh, and I believe that. Um, but like what, so I think one of the, you know, obviously we touched on if you have to pivot theme, Find a theme that will inspire you to help change the mechanics, like to fit it. Like, you know, you're, you're doing a big theme shift um, unless you know, like the original theme was, was kind of tacked on um, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, we're going to just tack on a different theme because it'll have better art or better whatever. Um, then I think you're, you don't have a lot of work cut out for you other than just making sure that nothing seems too ridiculously not tied to the mechanic, right? Right. Um, but what about what about those situations where you find yourself in the position where you're doing you're doing your playtesting and stuff and you're getting consistent feedback that your core mechanic is the one thing about the game that does not work. And the and the consistent suggestion is what if you just take that out? Like what 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 about that? Have you experienced that before? I'm trying to think back to see if I if any designs where I really had to to change the core mechanic. Um, not a drastic change, but uh, the game I actually pitched at the the speed pitching is a game called Vector Cycles, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, yeah, it's. It's basically Tron Light Cycles. Right. From... And I assume that by the name. And mm-hmm. that, that made me interested in the game. <laughs> so, yeah. And the original design was 
very influenced by the original Tron movie. Mm-hmm. Everything moved and made 90 degree turns. And, you know, it was played on a grid. And and I played it with my son a couple times and it was fine. The mechanics worked, but it was very derivative of the movie. And I was like, well, I want it to be something, something more than that. Right, okay. right. You want it to so, be its own thing, right? Right. So I started looking around. I was like, okay, what can I use instead of a grid? And what I found was a um, dots in a triangle pattern. And what it meant was every dot has six dots kind of in a hex equal mm-hmm. distance from it. What this meant was instead of everything, everybody making 90 degree turns, you're making about a 60 degree turn, right, which right. kind of stretched out players movement instead of, you know, immediately turning left, you had to kind of bank a little bit. Right. Yeah, that makes if sense. If you wanted to go straight left, you had to, it had to come like two different movements. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing it that way and it played so much better because it, First off, it slowed the game down a little bit. It was not quite so fast. Mm-hmm. And that meant players could be a lot more tactical. And that was important in the design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that mm-hmm. was, obviously that's not completely ditching your core mechanic, but that right, is right. a pretty good size change, yeah. It, it's It's a change, yeah. And that was a case where I'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. it really made a good positive difference to the game. Right, yeah, because it, uh, like I said, it, it slowed the game down somewhat so players could really start thinking about their moves out a turn or two rather than having to instantly respond. And I know for, like, the original Tron, you know, from the movie the characters are responding very, very quickly, but players really didn't like that. Right. It was, it was too easy to get into trouble when everything was 90 degrees with 60 degrees. There were a lot more options. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that meant that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I was trying to think if I had any games where like, really they were like the core mechanic has got to go. Um, and you've got to just, just up and change that. Um, I mean, I've certainly had publishers say, what if, what if instead of this one thing, it was this completely other thing. And most of the time those are like, well, let's think about why that is good and bad. And usually you fall on the side of, eh, let's not, let's not change that. Um, but I did have a game that I was working on with Ken Franklin, where we, um, had a movement system. The whole game was this movement system, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, the game is called Candlelight. And so the whole game is this movement system where you're trying to like make these different connections between people. And the movement system was was really good, and it was really fun. And the two pieces of consistent feedback we got were some people would say this is really fun and really good, um, but it's real thinky. And other people would be like, this is way too thinky. And for the level of like, kind of like the, the, um, the level of game we were going for uh, in the, in the difficulty and the complexity, 
it was just too much. It was way beyond what we wanted it to be. And, um, and because of this really cool movement system for connecting things Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we kind of had to sit back and this was, this was Ken's design. He had brought it to me. He had said, Jason, I love this design. I really want to get this done, but I'm struggling. I need somebody to come in and, and just help me fix it, you know, and work with me to fix it. And so I was really honored that he asked me and I was excited to work with him on it. Um, and like seeing that moment where it's like, what, what if that's, what if we, what if we got rid of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so like bringing up like, Hey, should we consider that this might be, you know, too much like to, this is just not going to work this way. We're going to have to consider it a different way. And, um, and to his credit, he was like, you know, let me think about that. Um, which is of course, like I, I will always, you know, if I, I very much believe that, you know, whoever starts the game should have the say to, to be like, you know, no, I don't want to change it this much or yeah, no, that's fine. Let's, let's go. Oh, for yeah. It. Yeah. Right. So I was like, all right, so you buddy, you come back and you tell me. And he came back two days later and said, I scrapped the system. Here's how, here's what I think it should do instead. And the system that he came back with is the system that's in the game now. I mean, there have been some minor tweaks and stuff. OK. Um, and that that game uh, had a publisher take it. So, like, oh, that's nice. pretty exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's because we made that fundamental change. And what we've done then is we were able to say, I said, you know, Ken, I think that movement system is super solid. Um, it just was too much for that game. So I was like, can I take that? Let me throw some ideas together and then let's come back together and, and see if we could do something with this game, um, with this, take the original mechanics and just make a whole new themed game. Um, and uh, and he was like, yeah, let, let's do that. So so that's something that, you know, we're going to come back to work on here um to try and finish it up once all the other stuff for the other game is done and um and that's that was really cool right it was like a composite experience like not mm-hmm. only did we fix the game um but we sold the game and then we can take these like the original stuff and we can make another game right, right like right. that's the like best case scenario yeah designers really should be uh, a bad term but pack rats in the sense yeah, that yep. don't never get rid of something. You can always separate it out and make it its own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think that people need to remember is that when you cut a mechanic that you're really in love with from a game, oh, this this mechanic is super elegant. Like I love the way it works, mm-hmm. but but the feedback is it doesn't work in this game. That's okay. Like oh, that great mechanic will inspire yeah. you to do something else. Um, or, or that white whale of a theme will inspire you to keep making games. I have like of that theme, I have made mm-hmm. so many versions of a, you are stranded or living in Alaska, like in a homesteader trying to do these things. I've literally designed like seven games for that, <laughs> signed a couple of them and none of them have ended up at that is wow. that. And finally, now I'm working on this game before the light dies with Michael, which is that. And I'm pretty confident that if it does get signed, it'll probably stay something very close to that because that's what the game is, right? Like that right, is what right. the game is. It's you're stranded and you're trying to be rescued. And while we could make that some other asymmetrical two-player game, there's no reason to, right? Like right. the theme is fun. People like the theme. 
Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that understanding you can always come back to those things mm-hmm. and they never truly have to go away. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you, you never have to get rid of anything. Right. It's and, not like uh, when you say, I'm not going to use the mechanic. Somebody's going to come to your house and steal it. Right. Be like, ha ha ha. Now it's gone forever, Ed. You'll never use this. Ah. Well, and designers really should keep pretty decent notes yep. uh, at every stage of the, of the game development so that they can go to an earlier version if they go down the wrong path. But also if they, mm-hmm. you know, decide to remove a mechanic, and they come back later with that mechanic. They say, oh, maybe I could use that mechanic. They can go look at their notes and go, okay, this is why it didn't work in that game. Mm-hmm. But it might work in this game. Yes, yes. Or, or mm-hmm. I've also seen this happen. It might work in the original game right. because you've made changes to the game. And now right. that's it, the solution to a new better. problem you've created, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes you're just, it, it, game design is a puzzle that you're building, mm-hmm. right? Like. And sometimes pieces come out and then yep. they can go back in. Oh, yeah. I yeah, know. So sometimes the hole in your game now fits the mechanic better. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah, I know. I Hannah Schaefer and I working on, um, if you find this, we have removed, replaced, and, and then reused... Um, literally the same mechanic more than once because it doesn't work. So we strip it and we put something else in and then that other thing needs just something else. And it turns out we could have just left the mechanic and just done an adjustment with this other mechanic, but we didn't see that at the time. So we pulled it out, we tested it and said, you know what this needs? This needs that original mechanic back. So sometimes the mechanic will actually obscure other solutions. I think it can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think another question to ask yourself too, and this is something that Michael and I had to do with before the light dies, Mm -hmm. where we were struggling with different feedback we got and trying to figure out how to process that and how to use it. And, and one of the questions we found ourselves asking play testers and they asked us what our thoughts on it too, were was what is the core of this game? What is the thing about this game that makes this game this game and what makes it unique? Um, you know, and, the, and that game is about communication and there's a little, you know, like a survival simulator built into it and some other mm-hmm. things. And like, but what what is the best part of the game? And the best part of the game, hands down, is the communication system um, mm-hmm. that, that we've got working in that game and, and the super interesting and cool ideas Michael had around that to do the communication with symbols and like, so what the last play testers helped us with, and that was Roscoe um, shock and Jonathan Schaffer was they helped us um, realize like, okay, that's the most important thing. So how do you amplify that? How do you build around that to make that better instead of like having it be like, basically they were saying, how do you make it the central point of the game? Because it is the central point of the game. But right now, you're not treating it like it's the central point of the game. Mm-hmm. And they were right. Yep. And um, and that was why we picked those two as playtesters to use in this phase of the game. Uh, and we had some other playtesters line up too. And now we've put all those on hold so that we can fix that core um, that we felt really good about. But realized that it just needs some tweaks. 
to make it the core again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because with that, I think what happened was Michael and I spent so much time testing that core and getting it to work right and be fun and then slowly added in more mechanics. Mm-hmm. So we knew that the core was important, but the playtesters they didn't play the early versions. They played the full version with the simulator and all these things. Right. So to them, communication was just this thing you did in the game. It wasn't the whole game. Um, so it was teaching the playtesters, no, it is, by reframing that part of the game. And, and really, a lot. what a lot of it came down to was it was an action you could choose. And now it's an action that is required that you must do. Oh, um, and because we're doing that, it did force us to make some other changes to mechanics to so that um, otherwise the game would be ridiculously easy. Um, so we did have to make some more changes. And those are some ideas that Jonathan and, and Roscoe had around that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that changing that core is OK, but like know what your core is. And sometimes it's not that you have to change the core. It's that you have to reframe the core. And that was for us. That was the right way. It's not the center of attention and it should be. So, yeah, yeah. So don't always just throw it away. Sometimes, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> like you want to think it through. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to, um, like you said, you got to reframe it. You got to look at it from a different perspective and make sure it is doing what it needs to do in the game. And if it's not, what can you do to tweak it? Right, right. Yeah. And I think one of the things too is to like when it comes to these situations, find your playtesters that you use sometimes that will provide you with the feedback that that will show you what needs to happen with your game, right? Um, and I say that because um, Jonathan gives very specific types of feedback and he tends to have ideas to fix things that I would never think of. But when he says them, I think, that's so simple. Why did I not think of that? I feel dumb. Um, and those are the ideas that are like the golden ideas to fix things, right? Mm-hmm. It's not adding a bunch of stuff. It's reframing something. I, I mean, I'll never forget like a month or so ago when I was trying to rewrite rules for something and I couldn't do it. I literally couldn't make it work. And I got Nate, Darty, Neil Roberts, and Ross, and I'm sorry, and um, Jonathan on the phone or on um, Discord chat. And they all had really good ideas about how to rewrite the rules but then Jonathan was like, well, the problem isn't the rules. The problem is your components like allow you to do things you shouldn't be able to do. So here, why don't you just change your components? And then the rules don't have to be rewritten. And I was like, you, oh, oh wow. how? Like, how, why, why did I not think of that? <laughs> I was like, why do you have all these components? If you just had this set of components, then they couldn't break the rules. Right. And I was like, that's just, how, what, why? Why would I not think of that? And I gave him excuses and reasons why, but they were all dumb and they were all things that were unnecessary. So, um, so I think that right there is a reason to get a fresh perspective when you are stuck to see whether it is, do you need to make this big change? Do you need to make this huge shift in your game? Um, And I think when it comes to like your theme, my personal opinion and advice would be to find someone who gets the themes that you get right yes you know don't don't go to your abstract slash euro friend and say hey i got this really wacky theme uh you know about this crazy stuff like can you tell me how you feel about it because their opinion 
doesn't isn't going to be the opinion you want, right? It right. matters, but it's they're probably not your audience. So, like, think about that. Yeah, they're they're probably not the person that's going to play the game with the wacky theme, and exactly. they're going to be more interested in maybe the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And if your mechanics aren't very strong, then the game's not really going to be interesting to them. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas um, if you go to your, you know, you, you have a very mechanic heavy um, game, you know, like an engine builder or something, and you go to a friend who's more for light games with very, very thematic games, they're not really going to be able to help you because they're, the, the mechanics aren't really what they're focused on. Yeah. Yep. That is a great point. Well, hey, this has been a super long discussion. I just realized wow. we've been yeah. talking for I just looked at what time it was. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh. Um, well, I would love to hear you talk in detail about one of your games. Um, if you uh if you want to pitch a game, I would love that. I know we've talked a bit about vector cycles and such, but Yeah, we we've um, talked about B ball, we've talked about vector cycles. Uh I actually have another well, I, I have a pitch for a game I haven't completely designed yet. Oh, that's awesome. I love those. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be the next one I work on. Um, and the game is called Gather the Night. And it's a very thematic heavy game. And the okay. idea is that all the players are workers on a skyship. But the skyship is sails across the sky in the morning and gathers up all the stars and planets in the sky so that the dawn can come. And the idea is that there'll be a grid of cards on the, on the table and mm -hmm. a ship and players will play cards to shift the ship left or right so that it gathers up the next card in that row. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make, or, or trying to make sure that the ship has certain sets of cards at the end of the night. So they're trying to get the ship to go to like the red planets and they need to have three red planets at the end of the night or four blue stars, things like that. Yeah. So everybody is putting cards in and then like the average of the left and rights comes out and that's the direction the ship moves. That's so, really interesting. Yeah. I, I really like the mechanic and the theme. I really like the theme, but I haven't quite, quite you know combined them right right yeah i mean the the theme draws me in right away just because mm -hmm. the theme is it, like there are a lot of games that involve space or space right. travel right but like the ones where they're just they feel different those are mm -hmm. exciting to me so like the idea that you're like gathering up these stars mm -hmm. that feels kind of weird like in a good way you know yeah it's meant to be very fantastical you know it's just yeah. kind of uh, almost like a um, like a myth, the, right. you know, a story, an oral story that was told. This is this is what happens at, before dawn. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is, yeah. No, I'm into that. I think that sounds really cool. So that is that's one you have not been working on for that that's long. One I, I have all of my notes written down. Uh, I started working on a prototype. Haven't play tested it yet. Uh, it, it's probably going to be the next one I, I seriously dive into. 
Nice, nice. Do you typically? I'm curious. Do you typically keep like a like a pretty good list of games you plan to work on? Um, I I have multiple notebooks. Um, I'm a real big fan of the uh, the Rocket books, which uh, have very thick pages, so you can erase multiple times and they don't wear out. Uh, they also have an mm-hmm. app that you can scan and store them. Yeah. Then, yep. Yeah, I've I've, um, I've had some friends use that before. Yeah, and uh, I use the uh, what are they? The friction pens. They are erasable pens, but mm-hmm. they're not erasable like a pencil. They it's heat, and so the end of the pen is just a rubber nib, and it, the friction heats up the ink, and the ink disappears. So the That's paper doesn't cool. wear out. Right. Uh, you can cool. also throw. <laughs> You can literally throw some of these notebooks into a microwave and wipe them clean. So it just yeah, I've, that I've it. seen before the microwave thing. That's mm-hmm. super duper cool. Yeah, so I'm a I big like fan that. of those. I've got multiple notebooks, and when I'm working, and a lot of what I do is very repetitive and not mentally intensive, I'm thinking game designs, and so I'll stop and I'll write down a couple notes. And then when I'm looking for my next project, I'll go back through my notes and go, well, that's kind of interesting. Well, I'm going to work on this one. That's cool. Yeah. No, I, I do that sometimes too. Sometimes I've taken a list of old games and like given access to a, a person, like a potential co-designer and been like, mm-hmm. see if anything in here sounds interesting to you. Um, and sometimes I'll come back and be like, oh, well, this sounds cool. Let's, let's work on this. So, all right, let's try it. <laughs> so why not? Yeah, sometimes my ideas are just like a title of a game. Yeah, me too. Or, or it's just the mechanic. Hey, this is an interesting mechanic, or this is an interesting theme. And yeah, we'll see what comes of it. Exactly. Yep. I think that's. I think that is a lot like what I do. <laughs> so, um, well, hey, this has been a super fun conversation talking mm-hmm. through all this. I appreciate you coming on the show and hanging oh, out with thank me. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah, so super happy to. Glad we, glad we finally got it to all come together. Yep. <laughs> um, neither one of us tried to reschedule. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, well, hey, listeners, I really hope you enjoyed our conversation as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. That's where you can find a link to our Discord. You can join that. It'll be super fun. Hang out with me, hang out with Ed, hang out with a bunch of people. Uh, you can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can, of course, find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am j- at J.A. Slingerland. Ed is at Ed Wedig. Correct. And, um, yeah, find us all there. And um, come back again next week. But until then, good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.